Hey everyone, welcome to the 95th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about storytelling, filmmaking, and directing. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Mercedes Bryce Morgan on the show. She's a director that I've known for a little while. She broke making a viral interactive show for Echo, and now is releasing the new season of Stargate. Uh, so she's had a really meteoric rise. She's got a ton of really interesting insights. She learned a lot from this kind of giant action-driven sort of set. Uh, we're going to dive in deep with her on the nature of making a big series like this, but also one that is really highly regarded by a fandom and what sort of pitfalls and challenges she found in respecting something that people love so much, but also making it her own. So it's a really great episode if you're interested in the kind of worlds of science fiction and also pre-existing IP. Yeah, my favorite part of the conversation is when we do kind of a deepish dive into how she shot lists, how she shoots action, how she comes up with uh, camera movement and things of that nature, which I always love discussing, and I feel like our listeners do too. So I'm really excited about this conversation. But before we get to Mercedes Bryce Morgan, I'd love to know, Matt, what's been going on lately? Well, yeah, we had the live show last week. Uh, it was an utter delight. It was great to see everybody in Los Angeles, uh, our friends at uh, Adaptive. Um, shout out to Katie and Zeb, who helped us out, and then also Kate and Steven. Um, who were there and the other Kate. Yeah, three Sorry. Katie's. We had three Katie's and three Mets. Yeah, too many. Uh, but yeah, it was a real it was a real treat. I guess we didn't get to talk about it on the show because we were just hosting a podcast, but um, it was really special to get to hang out with people. And I want to do it again relatively soon, in a couple months, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. If you missed this, li- this past live show, then we are going to do a few more this year it's really fun to get to meet our audience and so if you go to justshootitpod.com on these show notes i promise to have a uh link to sign up for the events list okay i have a mailchimp account guys i listen to podcasts it's gonna be great but yeah and also you know tweet at us let us know if there were things that you really liked about the live show things that you think uh we could improve upon things that you wish that we talked about um all of that stuff I think uh, it was really great. I think a special thing that, you know, we were hoping would happen is that it was great to see people from other listeners kind of meeting each other and interacting with each other. I think some friendships were born at that first live event, wouldn't you say, Oren? Yeah. What I found interesting was that there were a lot of non-directors that came. We had actually a lot of DPs, some screenwriters, some producers Mm -hmm. that listened to the show and just like hearing... I I mean, I don't know, this might be like a little cocky, but I kind of feel like a director does everything on set, like needs to know about everything on set. And so I think maybe on this show, we touch other departments as well. Mm -hmm. And so it was cool to see, to see not just directors there. Yeah. Because I'm sick of directors. We talk to them every week. Just kidding. It's been great. Um, Well, yeah, yeah, it was, it was such a good time. Shoot us an email with feedback. We're going to do it again soon. Um, probably a different location each time, but um, thanks to our friends at Adaptive for hooking it up. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, Oren. Yes. I would really love to know, though, what have you been working on lately? You know, I told you, I think I've talked about on the podcast that I'm doing these plumbing commercials in Houston. They're really fun. They're four 30-second comedy spots. We're shooting over two days, and... I think this might be the first time I've done this, but I did like a pre-flight out to Houston where we did casting and we did locations. And so I'm sure a lot of our listeners like already know about how, how all this works, but 
to those that don't like what's cool is so we have a locations manager and she goes and she basically starts sending me all these houses she's shot at before and she starts putting the feelers out for new houses and I just get a link with pictures of all these houses I narrow it down I select all my favorite houses the agency selects their favorite houses and then they set up one day where we're going to go to six houses uh, and then we the same thing happens with auditions right they send me a link of all the auditions I select all my callbacks the agency does uh, let me ask you Matt how many people uh, would do call back for an audition mm, per role let's say um, regard I want to know per role if that if there is a number or per day because to me if I'm casting 13 roles I'll call less people per role than if I'm casting one role that is definitely true so we're, we were casting 13 roles 13 roles right over how many days just one day one day oh boy because uh, I would say a bare minimum, I would call in five people, but it's probably closer to 10 or even 15. You yeah. Know? I, so my lists were between eight and 12 per role. And yeah. four of the roles were for like kind of the same. So it was really more like nine roles. Yeah. Is there any room to like, uh, are there roles where it's like, okay, well, I just need, you know, uh, white, I need three white moms, but you so you can bring in say 20 yeah. And then slice it up and just kind of pick your three favorites. Yeah. So four of those roles were like that. They were all kind of the same idea. So let's so let's say nine roles. So yeah, my instinct was to bring ten people each per role. It, we had an entire day. My flight out was at nine PM. We had an entire day to cast. And the people at the agency are like, What? That is way too many people. Like bring five, maybe six people. As the agency, we're only gonna pick our two favorite of for each role. Well, yeah, I think that's okay. But also, I guess they have to be there for all of them, right? Yeah. So we ended up... I'm like, yeah, suck it up, <laughs> losers. Let's do it. I want to do this right. That's why you hired me. Right. Well, so we ended up, you know, I was trying to be nice. So we ended up bringing in six people for ro- per role. And we finished like three hours early. And I just sat at the airport for three hours. I mm-hmm. wish we would have brought in 10 people per role because yeah. uh, our casting director did a great job of grouping all the actors together in the same scene. So if you have a scene with three actors then you're seeing three actors at a time. That's right. like, you should be able to bring three times as many actors. <laughs> Did you ever um, hold someone like, oh, you think that maybe they're really good, but they got stuck with a partner that didn't click with them? Did you ever hold anyone over to mix them with someone else or no? Yeah, we did. We did like some chemistry stuff a little bit. It, that stuff is so hard because, well, so we cast out of Houston. We had actors there from Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston. It takes three hours to drive there from some of those locations. Mm-hmm. So I already like feel really bad about these actors. And we had this one moment where there was a lot of people in our room. There were about nine people on my side of the table for the auditions. And there were a couple moments where a few people on my side of the table were whispering to each other during a take. Nope, nope don't and do that. Even though they're the bosses and they call the shots and they're... Not that it matters, but they're like significantly older than, you know, probably yeah. my parents' age. I still felt like I had to be like, guys, please. These people drove, some of them drove three hours. This is the callback. So it's their second time. So six hours of driving for this. They are not getting paid one cent. It's all on their dime. Like the least like, we stop, can do stop whispering. is yeah. not throw them off during their audition. So um, did but, you say it just like that? Yeah, but I didn't say it in front of, I like, kind of pulled them aside and said that, um, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, like, I totally understand, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm not, don't mean to be a jerk, but I said, like, look, I really like actors and I really appreciate that they're here for us. And yeah. it's important for me that they feel appreciated. I wonder if they'll respect you more for it or if they'll be like, Warren is difficult. 
Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, who cares, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I did give every single actor at least three takes, which yeah. I couldn't have done if we would have had way more actors, but <laughs> yeah. we had so much time. So anyway, that, that whole experience was interesting and in how I kind of pre-scouted and pre-cast and then finished it in Houston. But now I'm back here for a week doing the writer's room while we're prepping, storyboarding, everything. And then I'm flying back there on Sunday with the DP and the producer. Then we do a day of fittings and tech scouts and then a day of pre-art dressing and then two days of shooting and then I come back on Friday so it's pretty it's like I don't know it's interesting good beginning of the year man yeah but you know what's interesting and we talk about this on our commercials episode it's a two-day shoot so I get paid for two days of work yeah um which you know I think I think it's a good rate. I actually have no idea how much money I'm making on this. Oh, really? Yeah. I asked the producer and she's like, uh, I don't know. Your pay doesn't come out of my budget. It comes out of like the production company's budget. So and I'm gonna- the, it's not pre-negotiated. I was going to say, um, sometimes uh, it used to be standard that you would get a half rate for prep days. So you shoot days are full rate and then uh, travel and prep could, depending on who's negotiating for you and how, much money's in the kitty you could be making even more than you think yeah i don't know so well so the last company i was with he was like this is your day rate you know we're gonna say this is how much you cost per day which was great but i didn't get any work with them so it doesn't it's like the whole point of things moot with this production company the general manager is like look we're always going to try to get you paid as much as we can right and you just have to trust us some jobs will be more some jobs will be less the last job I did with them, I, it was a one-day shoot. was super simple. I mean, we cast it and then shot it the next day, and I never talked to anyone again about it. This job is just so much more involved with all these flights and going, being gone for a week. Which is all a argument towards being able to get paid get for paid. the prep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't think the... You know, at the end of the day, it's no one's negotiating for me. The production company represents me and also represents the budget. <laughs> Right. Wait, hold on. Is the famous group the production company? Yeah. Oh, I see. Ugh. Yeah, so there, that's a conflict of interest then. Well, but that's how it is in commercials, right? RSA is a production Tools the production company. Whatever, you know. Yeah, I guess so. Gifted that's Youth true. is the production company. So then it should just be 10% of that budget. Yeah, 5 to 10%, I guess. If it's a million dollars, should you get $100,000? Yeah. Dude, no. that, dude, that's why you do commercials, homie. They give the director $100,000 for a million-dollar commercial? Yeah, man. What if of that million dollars, 950000 of it goes to Justin Bieber for being in the commercial? I, I think, so. well, if 950000 <laughs> but then that's not a million-dollar Okay, 500000 goes to. I don't know, man. I uh, I guess, look, I'm, I'm not in the position to really answer that with any authority, but I will say this. The reason we are in commercials is because we love them and also because of the money. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's full rate in commercials. Yeah. I mean, we're the sometimes. least full rate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like this is a non-union commercial, you yeah. know? So to me, union is like the full rate. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> right. So, and that's like a big part of why they wanted to shoot in Houston. And I was really fighting to cast out of LA because mm-hmm. we just have so many more great actors. Yeah. I mean, I but, think you should just talk to them. I mean, the the other wonderful thing about it is that at this level, you're going to be pretty happy no matter what. Like a bad rate is still like a rate that you would take 
Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Gladly, you know what I mean? Yeah, booking one commercial for January makes me feel like I don't have to worry again until February 1st. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one other kind of interesting thing about this, and this is might sound like a brag or a boast, but it's totally not. I, I don't mean it in that way. There was like a little bit of an air of like excitement that they got like an LA director to come direct these mm-hmm. local region, these local commercials in Houston, um, which is funny it, it because feels good, right? Well, it just it's like in LA you are one of a bazillion people, mm-hmm. and then in Houston they're like, oh, we could use like our local person, or we could get like a someone from LA that does a lot of commercials, you know. And it's like, it doesn't even matter if you have actually done a lot of commercials, but the fact that you're from LA kind of makes them feel like you're coming from like a better market. So you might be better talent. So I just, I've never really experienced that before where people are like, oh, he's from LA. So he must be legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, again, our show constantly talking about how great LA is. I apologize for that. <laughs> it's just something that we keep noticing. I don't know. Life is good. So anyway, and we're continuing the writer's room. We, uh, our last day, which I actually missed because I was in Houston, but we did that whole thing with the whiteboard where we've mapped out what happens in the oh, first fun. five episodes. Yeah. How yeah. you feeling? I mean, I'm super bummed that I missed. That's the day I missed. It was built yeah. on like all our previous conversations. Um, but I'm excited slash stressed out of my mind because like a week full of writer's rooms while I'm prepping for this job and then leaving town. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, as Eben Kosbar, our producer friend, would say, uh, it's uptown problems. Oh, yeah, sure. I thought you were going to say you're in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. In the fire is when you're like kind of on a hot streak of like it's a pressure pressurized situation, but you're like making the calls and making the shots and like doing it, you know, like you're in it. Yeah. That's in the fire. I always like that one. Yeah, that's good. Uptown problems is like yeah, you sure. got to choose between two good jobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to stop talking about how great my week is. And uh, we're going to talk to Mercedes Bryce Morgan about how great her stuff is. Mercedes. Hello, hello. hello welcome. I'm going to call you Bryce. I'm yeah, gonna make call me mistake. Bryce. I'm going to definitely do that. So you go by both. But, yeah. But you prefer Mar- Mercedes, but I met you first as Bryce. Wait, yeah. but is it is it that you prefer Mercedes or that there's already a Bryce Morgan on IMDb? All right, here's the story oh, okay, of the yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my full name is Mercedes Bryce Morgan. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, wow, J.K. Rowling goes by J.K. because she doesn't want people to know she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I started going by Bryce, my middle name, as a young filmmaker because I'm like, oh, there okay, aren't any age? woman directors. I'll be able to get in the room and people won't know and then that will be okay and then people start speaking out and they're like it's awesome to be a woman director and I'm like I'm gonna own up to this and it's great and now it's great to be a woman director there you go look at that at what age did you think I should have this pen name yeah I think I was 20 okay oh so it's not like you were like 12 no yeah yeah. so when you were 20 this went from a very precocious like story to like oh man this is it's a different deal though right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. wait so 20 years into your life you did you tell your friends to start calling you Bryce yeah and actually some friends were like not okay with it I had one friend who said how could you you didn't ask me (laughs) they said I'm not gonna ask you to change my name I'm just gonna do what I want um and other people like my mom was totally supportive of it um and 
And so it has nothing to do with IMDb or like another Bryce Morgan. No, there, I don't think there are any other like Mercedes Bryce Morgans that I've met yet. There probably are because there's some of everybody. I have a Facebook group of Matt and Lowe's. Nice. That's oh, yeah. true. Do you guys all message each other? Uh, not really. I think it's just <laughs> funny to be on the group. So there's an Oren Kaplan that has contacted me numerous times. We're friends on Facebook now because he he was getting all these emails from me and finally he tracked me down and forwarded them to me. But whenever I get an email from him, I always assume it's like a virus or spam or something because I'm like, I didn't email myself. On a similar note, my friend Liz Miller, who writes for IndieWire, old, old friends, Liz Miller is a pretty common name, right? And so she had a blog called Not That Liz Miller, I think it is. And it was all about the different emails that she would receive from other people reaching out to different Liz Millers. And it was all sorts of crazy personal stuff. And then she wrote this incredible blog post that we'll have to post about, um, about she was going through this big breakup and another Liz Miller was planning for a wedding. And so she was constantly getting, constantly getting these emails from another Liz Miller about like how wonderful Liz's life is and how this relationship is working out so well. Right in this heart-wrenching, right, terrible... So hearing love songs while you're yeah. going through a breakup. Yeah, yeah. That's awful. <laughs> and a really killer story. So I hope Liz should turn that into a screenplay one of these days. Right. Liz, I hope you're listening. Okay, um, so, enough about names. So, Mercedes, uh, we first met, we were working on a show called Fantasies for Full Screen. And I remember there was this weird day where all of the directors were shooting all of the intro sequences... Which was a bonkers day. You also had an, an episode on top of that. So yeah, this was, it was the, an insane day. It was an insa- it, like, insane day. But um, the thing that really struck me, I remember, is that kind of last minute, the producers had decided that we kind of needed a universal intro sequence for the entire series, basically. Like, instead of just rappers, they also wanted to do basically a title sequence. And I was coming into the show on the back half of the season, so... I knew that like it wouldn't really make sense for me to weigh in too much, but it was something that these were the decisions that were going to affect literally everybody's episodes. And all of the directors were on set that day. And I kind of remember like showing up and like saying hello to people and like, you know, I'd worked with a lot of that crew before. So I was like palling around and saying hello and kind of was like, hmm, I wonder what's what's the plan for this intro sequence stuff. And someone was like, oh, Bryce is shooting it already. And I remember just turning over and being like, okay, you're like in it already. And just so our listeners know, Bryce is Mercedes. Sure, sure. Bryce-80s. Bryce-80s. So Mercedes, you were shooting it already. Like, like in maybe like, you were like, uh, like on the ground, you know, like, like a real, real directory pose. You know what I mean? (laughs) And like, I think everybody else was just like sitting around with their fingers up their nose. And like, you would kind of just like charged in and were already shooting the sequence without like waiting for anybody to Wait, say was there anything one dp there was one dp there was one dp so, but like did was yeah. bryce assigned to go first yeah so i mean what happened on this day is how many pages this was one of the it most was 27 days. it was 27 pages. 27 pages in one day and i think there was four different directors there yeah. and i also had an episode on the same day so yeah. we did major ot and i was just same crew and like kept switching directors out. Um, to our listeners, OT is overtime. Yeah, overtime. Um, the reason why I was on the ground is because if the actors have to sit on the ground, I like to sit on the ground. Oh, that's nice. Like if the actors have to get in the water, I'll get in the water. And oh. so I'm always seen in very odd areas around the set. <laughs> I used to have that mentality and then I was like, 
I don't need to get in the water. <laughs> There's this really good documentary, Warner Herzog making uh, Little Dieter Learns to Fly or something. like, uh, Or some movie he made with Christian Bale where they're supposed to eat insects. And Walter Herzog just like goes in and just starts eating all these crickets and ants and all these things. He's like, just eat them. Just do it. It's no big deal. Yeah, that's funny. And then he like threw up. <laughs> yeah. But I love the wireless director's monitor. And that yeah. allows me to just, you know, sit on all surfaces. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for that day... Um, we had talked about everything, um, but everyone was just kind of talking instead of just going instead into of it. Shooting. And, and like, we had 27 pages. I was like, sure. guys, yeah. this is how we're doing it. Yeah, we're yeah. going to go ahead and go for it. Um, and just checked in with all the different directors to make sure we had the same style going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we just had to go for it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. yeah it, it was, was also like, cool to like see how other directors worked. It was a weird thing to do. Yeah. 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 Um, so you guys all like if you when you finished yours you stayed around to see how I people hung start. around you know it it's interesting because um I I don't think it was with you I think there's another director where like maybe I pitched some jokes and shouldn't have do you know what I mean like I have a, a just a impulse to like want to get in there and I would be okay with that like if you were like hey stupid here's a good joke and it was good I'd use it do you know what I mean um but that's not always the case with people or like you know i like i said i'd worked with this crew like bobby the dp i met my second day of college like i introduced him to their the producers so like i wasn't worried about like losing face in front of the crew at all um but that's a stupid thing to do even if it's like a good idea and i remember just being like i should back off he didn't say anything to me it wasn't like he was annoyed or anything and it was quiet it wasn't in front of the whole crew but i was remember thinking like I should just like let people do their thing instead of like palling around yeah. you know what I mean but I think that also comes from a place like we're all directors and mm-hmm. so we just feel very comfortable like being there and being in charge yeah um, sure and on the last project I did we had a separate second unit stunts director oh so, interesting yeah and so I haven't had I haven't been able to have that before so it was really mm-hmm. awesome actually I have in the past but it didn't work out the way it should so I've been <laughs> very very picky about sure. allowing other directors to come on and do that um, but in this case he was super awesome and we had this huge stunt sequence where on that day we were supposed to go off and do separate things mm-hmm. but a huge the ceiling of our soundstage cracked and so it wasn't safe to be on the set and so we had to shut down production for three days and we kept on thinking we were gonna be able to shoot and we couldn't so our schedule got completely messed up the entire last week we had to do night shoots on a sound stage and so we would have like a 7 p.m call time and everyone's like why are we doing this oh, wait because there was light coming through the crack there wasn't light coming through the crack but they're like yeah this could fall on your heads at any minute so like do not go in there but they didn't think it could fall at night no just like after it was fixed all of our like 12 hour turnarounds just got shifted so much and we were doing ot so it just like rolled over to that's like what we were doing and we were like losing actors at the end so we couldn't just like start over again but that is that is (laughs) it was brutal (laughs) but the reason why i tell that is so on that day i was supposed to be off shooting something else and the Mm -hmm. way that it turned out is i didn't have anything else to shoot anymore and so they said hey mercedes you could just direct the scene now but i said no like this second unit director has been working with the actors for a really long time and I promised this to him and it would just be like so horrible of me to just like come in and rip away this huge sure, sure. so I was like okay I'll be like here and I'll be around and my DP and I will be like here for you guys right. it was weird just because that day on set was the most horrible feeling because yeah. I'm just like 
I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and you what? feel useless yeah, sure. and it shouldn't yeah. because you know that everyone's out there doing stuff that you prepped and you're all part of the same thing. Right. But we're just used to the fact it's like if we're not running around, then we're not doing our jobs. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so hard to just be like, all right, I'm going to sit in a director's chair yeah. and like sprinkle things in here and there. Yeah. That's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah. Well, I wonder if there is like a proper channel. Like if you're on set, let's say you're a DP or a guest or a friend or something and you're like watching a scene and you have like an idea for like an amazing joke or something's not working and you have an idea for how to make it work. Is there a proper channel to send that through? Like could you whisper it to a producer that could well, filter it and bring it to the director or? I, I think that it, kind, it d- depends on director to director and the relationship. But I do remember very distinctly on the Go90 thing I just did, um, towards kind of the end of the shoot, everyone knew each other really well. The crew was awesome. And an AC of mine very quietly kind of like came over and like put his back to everybody and just kind of whispered in my ear a note um, that was like basically him reminding me of something that he remembered me saying I wanted to do. And just being like, hey, I, I remember you saying you wanted this in case you want to make sure you get it. Just, like, literally no one else could hear. And I was really struck by how thoughtful and good and engaged that instinct was. You know, because it is, he, his whole job is just pulling focus the whole time, right? So, like, those guys are, you know, it's easy to just be on your phone or, yeah. like, not Usually really... they don't even read the script. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why would you, right? Just, yeah. like, make sure everything's sharp and you're good to go, right? For the record, ACs do do a little more than pulling focus. But <laughs> sure. Yeah, they do yeah, a lot, yeah. but on a different... Yeah, way. I didn't mean yeah. to, to denigrate what he was doing, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, he, he was already doing his job and, like, engaging right. in the story wasn't an essential part of that. And then to have the foresight and thoughtfulness to come in and, in a very polite way give me a note I thought was great. Yeah. There, there's something really nice when the whole crew has like read the script and knows what the thing you're shooting is and like when I was would just like dolly grip on AFI short films like I kind of prided myself on like always listening to the director and the DP's conversations so that by the time they're done talking like I have the camera in the right position and they don't have to like track me down and tell me to put it here and explain what the move is going to be and like it is kind of frustrating I mean yes that AC is awesome but it's almost frustrating when you're like, yeah, in this part, Monica is going to walk over here and like tell Chandler she loves him. And they don't know who like Monica or Chandler is. Right, it's like, right. dude, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, that's something I really like to be able to have like the gaffer and the key grip at table reads, which mm, I don't think great. is a standard. Yeah, but I think it's great. really important. And people always have like a wrap party. My new favorite thing is to have pre-production parties. So right oh. before you shoot, you get drunk with your crew and everyone becomes friends. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Like and so like the first day, I feel like everyone's more in sync because they don't know, like they know everyone's name mm. and they get what's going on. Like you said, they know the character names. And would you do that on like a two day shoot also or just like a Probably longer not, short Probably not, just like shoot? a longer shoot. I think on a two day shoot, you're just like, yeah, we have like a two weeks for prep if we're lucky. And sometimes we have a couple days. So let's just go. Yeah. So Mercedes, go ahead and let's give give us a little bit of backstory of like what you do, what your point of view is. And um, yeah, give us the cliff notes on, on <laughs> yeah, your career life. career highlights. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am a freelance director and producer and I... Went to USC film school, um, and I've been living in LA probably for six or seven years now. You went to undergrad? I went to undergrad there, yeah. Um, And 
when I was there, I just started my own production company and I just started working full time. Um, and you know, didn't go to a lot of parties because <laughs> I was working the whole time. <laughs> um, but they say you do something, you just got to do it fully. And so I've done all types of things. I've done commercials and music videos and digital series. And I just really love that we're in a time now where we get to do narrative. Um, like that's what's so awesome about digital is a lot of times people will go from just commercial or music video into other things, but now we actually get to tell stories and that's way more closely linked to that. And so that's what I really love is just like telling. branded content. You mean, or you mean that all the genres are kind of overlapping each other? Um, basically like because digital series didn't used to exist, you could make music videos narrative before you went into TV or movies. Um, but now you can actually make shows that are 10 by 10s and be able to transfer that into longer form narratives cool and some highlights from your career you did a show for echo Mm -hmm. two shows or one show so i did two shows for echo um i did echo is the interactive series where the viewers are we so we had another guest sandeep parikh on here he did um Mm -hmm. that moment one yeah have you heard of that yeah. So your shows were similar, right? Yeah. Like you... and so the first show I did um, was called Virtual Morality. And that's what kind of launched my career because um, it went viral and it had over 15 million views. And what was awesome about it is we had all of these different YouTubers like PewDiePie started reviewing it. And so we had all these gamers start watching it. Oh, and so it was something that we made for no money, no stars. And it just like rocketed and, and what was people it? made fan art and it was wonderful so virtual morality is a murder mystery at a high school party and so you go in you're this very catholic girl and you go in and you figure out that there's this thing going on it says don't like don't share don't subscribe but everyone likes and shares and subscribes to the murders that are going on fully perpetuating it further um but that was kind of our first try at making something interactive and so we just had a normal branching structure and so there's probably about like 20 or 30 different ways you could play an episode but we said okay this is a new awesome way of storytelling so when i did my next project which is called chatterbox escape the asylum where you are this guy jed that has two voices in his head and you have to escape the asylum there's 500 different ways you could play it um and so no matter how you play it it's more like a game and so you will have a different experience instead of someone else yeah yeah that that's so crazy i didn't realize that your show went viral that's a hard thing to do always but then also when it's an interactive video and you're trying to like you have you have to ask a viewer to buy in yeah. in a more substantial way so well done that's incredible Thank i didn't you. realize that yeah. Yeah. how many episodes was that um so it was three episodes and how um, long were they and that's hard to say because it's interactive but um anywhere from seven to 15 minutes play time per episode so we had to make about 45 minutes worth of content um, per episode per well total um each episode okay. was like 15 minutes worth of content yeah okay cool yeah. and then yeah so how did, were you involved in the press at all like how did you get like how did you get pewdiepie to review it just reddit people shared it on reddit and mm-hmm. what pewdiepie does is he looks at what other youtube gamers are posting and once those become popular they work their say like their way up the gamer chain on youtube and that's how i reached him wow. and so once he liked it that's when everyone started watching it but so did yeah. you was that just an accident or did you go to reddit and like kind of promote um, it there? the my fellow creator elon who's the writer just posted it on one reddit thread and then just people just started sharing it and reviewing it um, oh, wow. Yeah, which is crazy because people are like, how does something go viral? Sure. It's like, 
I don't know, people <laughs> just start sharing it. Yeah, like, there's right no place, way right that the Well, there, yeah. there's definitely ways to get it. Like, it would have probably gone viral without that Reddit post, but even mm-hmm. just that Reddit post, like, yeah. sometimes that type of thing hits, which obviously it did for you, but sometimes yeah. it doesn't, and then you do the Facebook post or the yeah, exactly. share it with, like, the exact right group of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think what we had going for us is because gamers really loved it. I think it's like having a core audience, so mm-hmm. they're like oh, this is like a gamer thing, or if you're making for a queer audience, like the people look for that type of content. Right, right. right. Yeah. And that gamer audience is like so connected digitally to yeah. each other. Yeah, and they actually want to go through and watch something. That's what's cool about interactive videos is like we have problems trying to get people not to click away from stuff in the first 20 seconds, but when people watch these like these episodes, they watch them three times over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you actually are able to hook someone's attention, which is so hard to do nowadays because they're involved in it. Right. And it, that is interesting. Matt and I have talked a lot about these interactive shows and they do seem tricky to get interested in, you know, because I think one way to look at it is like, I just, I want to relax and I want you to guide me, you know, and I, and as a director, you want to feel like you have a specific plan for the viewers, like emotional roller coaster or whatever yeah not that you don't with these interactive shows but you have to have like a bunch of plans yeah you have to have a bunch of plans and i also just think not to like hit the gamer thing over the head but people who don't like to play video games want to sit back and not interact with their video and so they're probably not gonna respond to that just because of the type of content you have yeah um and so that's why like sometimes you see these like three minute long like love romancy things which are awesome and really cool like possibilia but that's just it's creating new content that doesn't doesn't necessarily have an audience yet and so Mm -hmm. that's really hard because it's not whether your work is good or not it's just people not used to that type of thing right yeah that's actually really insightful kind of matches up with what that conversation i had with kate grady the other day which said she said that echo does want to move more in the direction of like the escape the asylum type of tone and audience you know Mm -hmm. um and less the comedy side of things because it's probably because of what you just said because that stuff connects with the audience that is interested in interacting with what they're watching um but yeah so i've done a lot of interactive stuff um and the most recent thing i did um was a series for mgm of the new stargate show right like Um, a reboot yeah reboot so it's the origin story and so that was really wild taking something that people have loved for many 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 seasons and sticking true to canon and oh right yeah yeah, which is really intense like we had a stargate expert on board and so every time we do something it's like can this light be this color because how has it been for you know this Mm -hmm. many seasons we have to check everything by that so did you go back and watch every episode of every season (laughs) that would have taken me years so no (laughs) (laughs) because there was like four or five shows right there's like 18 seasons oh, of all and the different multiple shows multiple movies yeah yeah so there's a lot of content um so no yeah. <laughs> but i went back and like watched different episodes from different seasons to make sure i familiar like yeah. familiarize myself with it you still had a crash course even if you didn't have the total number of hours yeah of as much yeah. as i could have yeah right. and the characters are from the original movie yes um uh, there are new characters too though Um, But yeah, so that was another thing is like taking characters that are already established and working with that, Mm -hmm. Um, which 
is what you do with any TV show or anything. Um, but just the fans on Stargate are known for um, being a lot more um, intensely invested than mm-hmm. any other fans. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, the sci-fi fans in general kind of have that thing, right? Especially maybe TV sci-fi. When you've got 18 seasons, right, and you're sticking with something for so long, that's kind of part of the appeal, right? Yeah. Like there's kind of a mythology that you get to be excited by and adhere to. Yeah. yeah. It's like your world as well. And I feel like you feel like it's per- you're personally attached to it. Mm-hmm. And so when someone doesn't do it justice, it hurts you personally. Sure. Yeah. Which I get. But it's also a very big responsibility because you can't create something that people already had. Because why would you want to create something that's already been done? Right. But if you do something that's too new, people get upset. And so... It's just like something right. you're not able to win. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, like yeah. The Force Awakens, I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. And it's because it felt like exactly the same as like the first Star Wars. But yeah. I totally get why. And I mean, it overall was very successful. Um, but, but yeah, also it's tricky. that's safe. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, then they're you putting see, so much money into Yeah, it. like <laughs> Ghostbusters rebooted. The Last Jedi. Fanboys, fanboys were so mad about The Last right, Jedi. I, I haven't seen it. Don't tell oh, me really? Anything. Yeah. I haven't well, seen it either. So I'm I working on it. Look, so it... I loved it actually. Um, I love not, Ryan Johnson. Not to turn too much about yeah. Ryan Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's the exact sort of thing that you're talking about. It's like J.J. Abrams really kind of stuck to what we think a Star Wars movie is supposed to be and delivered that, and that is fun, but also feels really stale at, at its worst parts. And then the Last Jedi kind of doesn't care about a lot of canon, right? Um, and that's kind of like freeing and exciting, but like there were a lot of people who felt betrayed by it. They were like, but you know, you set these things up and you paid them off in ways that we weren't expecting or like my fan theory is wrong. You know, all of that stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, and as filmmakers, it's fascinating to have that sort of baggage on, um, on a series like that. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. It's so fascinating yeah, I to mean, me. I guess yeah. I hadn't wrapped my head around how Stargate has so many seasons. Yeah, well, I mean, also, so when it got announced at Comic-Con, um, something that was, like, I'd never experienced before is I had people emailing me from France and Germany around the world being like, we're so happy, don't mess it up. <laughs> really? <laughs> Did they was, give you specifics as to how not to mess it up? No, or? it was just, like, one-sentence emails that was, like, to let me know they were really excited and it was really awesome but at the same time it's like all right here we go are they getting your email off of like your website that's another thing is i had not taken my email off my website at that point because i'd never received emails in that bulk before yeah and so after that i took my email (laughs) off my website (laughs) and so did you write it or how involved were you in the scripting so um they had a writer's room um but because i was an executive producer on it as well i was able to like be there in the story process and actually our writing overlap with our pre-production and so we started pre-production off of an outline mm-hmm. and so we were giving notes the entire time that sure. we were planning stuff as well but there's um, something not kind ideal but that just kind of happens sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. isn't there something kind of nice where you're like hey we found this great location can we change this scene that there is a little back and forth between production and scripting yeah as opposed to like production racking their head over like how to how to accomplish a certain scene mm-hmm. Or, like, not using this awesome location because there's nothing really to go Yeah, I think it's nice, but also at the same time, like, I like to plan so intensely that I think the script can still change if it has to when you get to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it's nice, but I don't think it like makes up for the fact of all these other things. We're like, we want to book this, but we don't know what our page count is. So we're just going to guess right. that we need five days here. Right. But we don't know if we need a six. Then if we don't, we're screwed. <laughs> and right. so it's just like really guessing, like making a strip board off of guesses off an outline is hard. Yeah. And how many episodes was it? Um, there's 10 episodes. 10, 10 yeah. episodes? Yeah. Gotcha. 10 by 10. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And is it designed to be kind of, is it like a movie that you split up into 10 parts? Yeah, basically. Like it follows the same movie structure and we shot it more like a movie than we would a series. Um, Because when they came in, they're like, oh, you can do this like eight to 10 pages a day. And then after we had that experience where we did that many pages, I was like, no, (laughs) I do not want to do this many pages a day. Um, Like I personally love to do five and a half pages yeah. a day which yeah, yeah. you know every director does or even less <laughs> um it's, you know you can't always get that i get uh not that it happens very often but if i have a page count that's too low i get a little bored really yeah like i'm kind of like all right let's i got it in four or five takes that's plenty yeah see f- like, for me it's i could throw like, another yeah. angle at this but yeah, I don't know. I like there could never be too low of a page count yeah. for me. <laughs> I could go on and on and that would be totally fine. I've done projects where like the script really dictates how it's supposed to look. Like I did that this Wendy's thing where it's supposed to be look like Sports Center, right? Mm-hmm. And we just so we just shot it exactly like how they shoot Sports Center. So after we did all the lines and all the takes and all the alts and all the versions, we were like we're done, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it does two hours early. Shooting. Yeah. But if you're doing something really like original or dramatic or narrative, I think when I know I'm shooting three pages today, then that's when we start getting crazy with the camera moves or yeah. you try interesting performances or mm-hmm. oneers or whatever. And when you're shooting ten pages a day, it's like wide yeah. to you know over yeah. over. Let's yeah. move on. Well, that project that we did together, I remember there was one time on set during that day where I had the client come up to me and she goes, can you shoot this in any less shots? Can you make this go any faster? And I said, right now we have two shots for one page of content. If you make me take out a shot, we'll have nothing to cut with. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it has to be perfect and that's going to make us go slower. So you need to let us get another shot. Yeah. So back up. That's something I think all three of us probably relate to that is like frustrating with producers sometimes is that they their ideas of how to save time and money are so arbitrary like hey we have seven locations let's cut it down to five or let's get rid of a character that i know that that saves money or you are shooting two shots per scene let's can we find a way to shoot one shot but they never think like how does this affect like the storytelling or the final product or what we're making like there's never a is this going to make it good or bad it's always like this is what i heard and this project i'm working on now the production company just like told us the other day they're like we love your outline and everything let's get let's cut cut it to about half these locate number of locations because that'll save us money and i'm like that does not and also you is, don't that's know not that, true at all yeah, yeah we don't know if that's true or not because yeah. like maybe you wrote it to a you know a bad example you wrote it to a, like a standing stages where it's like on that shoot actually we um that same show we shot at remit which is has like Oh, I shot a school. I shot Stranger Things. You shot a hospital room mm-hmm. and an a apartment bar. and a bar. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of stuff that like, yeah, you kind of always just have, you, you can always have them handy. Um, like you can find those sets wherever, but like cutting locations in that circumstance wouldn't save us any money at all. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like two scenes in the hospital room is probably worse than a scene in a hospital room in a bar in that circumstance. Right. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I know is is true that I feel like these people aren't always thinking about is that scope, like us as directors, we want to we want our stuff to look like big Hollywood movies and big Hollywood TV shows. And so when they're like, okay, let's just shoot, set this whole scene in this warehouse or whatever, or the, the whole show or the whole episode, like there's nothing more boring than seeing like the same characters talking in the same location for 22 minutes or whatever. And and if it is really good, like people always reference like, oh, that episode in Breaking Bad where it's just Jesse and Walt making meth the whole episode and chasing that fly. Like, first of all, that episode isn't good unless you've seen like the preceding like 30 episodes or whatever. And second of all, it's like, these are the best people on TV and they pulled it off and they're so applauded for it. But nine and out, like 99 out of 100 times, that's going to be a boring episode. And that set is like super intricate. It's not just a single room. Do you know what I mean? Like they really shot the shit out of that episode. Yeah. So when you're a producer so. comes and says to Mercedes, hey, can you get this in one shot less? It's the same as saying, like, can you make this like a little bit worse? Right? Yeah. 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 And I think that's what's hard about the fact that there's so much content now is that we get to make a lot more content, but there's also less money being put towards it. Right. Um, so it's like the opposite of it's like, well, would you want to only shoot something every couple of years but have a lot of money or would you rather constantly be working and be able to create all these series but your budgets are cut? And so that's just kind of like trading. Well, do you guys <laughs> ever like fight back and say like, hey, we can make six really good, great episodes or 10 not so good episodes and I know you guys promised the client 10 yeah I mean so I actually line produce too and so that's something I do is I like look at the budgets and break them down Mm -hmm. and they'll be like yeah look this will save us money I'm like no this will save you $200 which is nothing right (laughs) and we're losing this important character for this day and so yeah like I'll if people tell me something isn't possible I'll (laughs) work the numbers if I don't like how the numbers are being worked and be like look it is possible or on that show we did I was supposed to do a musical episode and they're like yeah we can't have a choreographer and I'm like look I can find you a choreographer for this amount of money and it's nothing for you guys and they're like cool so I think it's just stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) where it's just if you know what you're doing and you know the numbers you can tell people you can call their bullshit and be like, yeah, no. <laughs> back, it all goes back to drone shots. I think, boy, God, we always talk about how like the producers always are like, we can't afford the drone. And so, no, no, it's, it's more that like you budget for the drone and then it gets cut. That's, that's the, so that's why here. I bought a drone yeah. so that I can do my own drone. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you Mercedes. So how would you define your style as a director? Like what kind of stuff do you make? Yeah. So I really love stuff that's elevated. Um, I really love surrealism and fantasy and horror and genre stuff. Um, But I really love genre stuff because I feel like genres have been done so many times from the same perspective. So bringing like a new female queer perspective to that, um, it helps renew it as well. Um, And I love stuff that's not afraid to be really big or very violent or very sexual, um, which is always hard because clients don't like stuff that's too violent or sexual. (laughs) (laughs) So you put stuff in there and they cut some back and you're like, okay, we kept that. Do you do do that thing where you put something in that you know is going to get cut so that i do oh cool <laughs> can you name some of those yeah, things you guys you missed out on that smile everybody. oh man well that sly smile that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i just say that like um i'll 
do a scene that's very bloody and have the person get stabbed a couple more times that I know is going to be taken out, but you just go for it. Right. <laughs> and whenever there's a fight scene written on the page where it's like, and it's over in a punch, I'm like, no, it's not over in a punch. So. <laughs> I love I love it when it's over in a punch, actually. I'm like, I want, like, that's why I, I think I loved about Three Billboards, actually, is that, like, for the most part, like, people just got beat up relatively quickly and that was it like i i understand like violence has a place in cinema but like i'm okay with it feeling a little more realistic like if i got punched in the face i would be on the ground crying after one punch and that would be that yeah you know what i mean yeah but there's a lot of fights that are wouldn't you say most real fights are more than one punch i think if you get clocked like a good movie punch yeah, I like think a sucker are, punch yeah i think you're out basically in one punch did like, you see three or, billboards? Or it's, or it's really ugly and sloppy. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, it's very sloppy. If, you can't, if no one makes, if no one connects, then yeah. But like, or like if there's kicking or something like that. But like for the most part, that still no one looks cool in that fight. The cool looking <laughs> fights are pretty unbelievable to me. So like an ugly, stupid fight that's over as quickly as it would be in real life is yeah. very appealing to yeah. me. So, yeah, I think that's like a personal thing for me though. Is like I don't always find believable interesting sure sure totally. <laughs> like that's what i think is really awesome about kubrick movies is all the acting is very over the top and that's way more fun than if their acting had been believable mm-hmm. um and so i think it's important for people to be believable in their feelings but the way in which mm-hmm. they do things something heightened is interesting yeah yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Like i'm that. with mercedes on the fights like i've done so many things where like and then the guy comes and he punches him and he falls down and they you know the girl walks away or whatever and we do it and I'm like hmm that just seemed really short and simple and anticlimactic like I wish we had the budget and the time to, to choreograph like mm-hmm. 10 punches and then you see like the Punisher or some Marvel or Jessica Jones and like they're you know all those good things have like so many fight like fight yeah. parts to I them. mean because they take an entire day to do like a page right yeah and they have different units, which we don't sure. always have. I've done so many fight stuff. It's like, well, we have to cut like most of the shots we had to, and we're getting it what it is, and like, yeah. which stinks. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about like action fight scenes. What's like your your style? Like, do you like to do like a lot of shots and cut fast to make them feel intense, or what's like? Yeah. What's your secret to make f- fake fights look? Yeah. Good. So I guess um, coming from <laughs> the budget level the budget level that i'm currently directing is like you're not able to have actors for like months at a time to rehearse mm-hmm. and even like your stunt guys you're able to have months at a time and like if you're able like to match your stunt guys that's great but you can't just shoot stuff static because it's just gonna look fake <laughs> and so i've done stuff where we're like wow we want to shoot it you know on these steady cam shots and have these beautiful winners for these fights and it's just because you have the time on the day doesn't mean that you had the budget and pre-production for that to work and so in my experience it's like if you don't you shoot it handheld <laughs> and you hide it um and you like break it up enough that you're able to do that and so because you're saying essentially yeah. that choreography is getting set the day of everyone's kind of learning on the day basically not even learning the day like we might have like two stunt rehearsals where we had like a full day and like a full studio where we had all the stunt people rehearse and all of our actors rehearse but it's still like these actors were being taught how to throw punches then Mm -hmm. um instead of us having a month with them of like really getting it down um i did a show last year i guess in 2016 where this one actress had to punch someone and i mean we must have done like 85 takes and we're like 
Yeah, like just the way you're like moving your wrist at the end. It just she was supposed to be like a major badass, and she just like couldn't. It was like an embarrassing punch, and just like the longer, the more we tried, it we we're like getting in her head, and she's like, yeah. "Is that good? Is that good?" And then no you know, one's having the end, fun anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, "Can I have someone else punch and I'll replace her arm?" Like, that's so crazy. Yeah. So, and that's you basically at some point just have to take the not great punch because you have to move on because yeah. you're like losing yeah. light. Or I just think that like with anything it's like people have all these ideas they're like oh, if I would have shot it I would have done it like this and it's like well no it's like you have to do it with the constraints that you have mm-hmm. it's like you have this amount like amount of time in a day and so this is how many setups you have and you had this much time in rehearsal and so like you have to do it this way for it to look good <laughs> and yeah. so it's like if I had more I would shoot it different but if I want it to look good I have to do it a specific way right yeah. And yeah. how carefully, sorry, I keep cutting Matt's questions off. <laughs> it's a story. It's a hundred episodes almost. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'm not sorry. Um, how carefully do you plan out? Let's say you're going to have a fight sequence, just like a hand to hand combat, maybe a weapon or like some blood. Do you storyboard like each shot? Do you have a shot list? How do you, yeah. do you do one swing at a time and then reset and get a few takes and then go into the next move or yeah. what's, so, what's the strategy? Personally for me, I think it's different for everyone, but I feel like, shot listing is pretty pointless unless it's a huge set piece or unless there's a lot of VFX involved because even if you're building the set, things change and people move differently in real life than you imagined in your head when you were like in front of your computer or drawing on a pad of paper. Um, And it's hard to like draw dynamic shots that move all around the place if like it takes you that long to draw them. (laughs) So I'm personally anti-starboarding for fights. Um, But what I like to do is I'll talk to the um, stunt coordinator, we'll figure out how it works, and then I like to shoot it on my iPhone during the rehearsal and cut it together on my computer. Mm, And so like whenever I have the No, so like in in pre-production. So I'll like make this really shitty iPhone video (laughs) of what it's gonna look like. This is so good, I love that, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's what Freddie Wong does too. Yeah, it's cheap previs. Yeah, yeah. And you actually get to see how people move. And even if the DP's there, I'll have the DP like shoot it on the iPhone because that way like, um, he can move with the actors and like something I really like to do is have the DP shoot on like a really wide lens and get really close to them mm-hmm. and it's very dangerous mm-hmm. because the DP I work with has gotten hit a couple times <laughs> but it looks really awesome when something is swinging right sure. at the camera yeah, yeah. Um, and so having him be able to rehearse with them almost like a dance oh, is like cool. really great. wonderful yeah yeah so if you don't have that rehearsal day do you still do that on set the same thing. I would never shoot a fight without a rehearsal day if it's an actual fight because I know that it just won't work out. So <laughs> if it's like a punch, I don't think you need a rehearsal, but I would fight really, really hard to get a rehearsal day. Okay. Or so, one. sorry, yeah. fights aside or action scenes yeah. aside, do you shot list for a normal scene? Like yeah. a dramatic so scene? So I'm like a very controlling person. <laughs> and so I like to shot list everything. Um, but something I learned from the last project I did on Stargate is that I got a month of prep with my DP, which is awesome. We would meet like every single day and I got a lot of time with him. Um, But then sometimes things on the day change, you know, like 
an actor might take an hour longer to get in makeup because it takes them flowers to get in makeup or something will happen like your roof will break on your soundstage. Right. <laughs> and so I like to use a shot list, even if it's some of it gets thrown out almost as like, okay, we thought about all the things that we didn't like to come up with what we did like. So on the day, if they're like, okay, you have to cut two shots to make your day, I'm like, okay, we well, already know that we didn't like all these things in mm-hmm. pre-production. So even though we have to do something different, we like cut out 75% of the options. So this is like the right. next best thing. Right. So I make it to then throw it out. Wait, sorry, I, I don't quite understand. So you like decide you're gonna have 10 shots for the scene and you decide which ones are the most important ones and the least important ones when you're shot listing. So yeah, so let's say I have a day and I'm like, okay, I know that I can have like 15 setups in this day. Um, I'll make the shot list, I'll come in with it, but on the day an actor's like, I don't want to walk there. That doesn't feel right to me. I need to walk here instead. Or if I have to combine yeah. a shot, I know that this shot can come become this instead. You've already thought through what you don't like. Yeah. So you're free to come up with what you do like. Exactly. So yeah. it mostly stays the same. But I know that if like we needed to have this crane shot, we can't have it. Like not all is lost because we come up with the next best thing in like a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you try to have like... um like a cinematic language for everything you do like you know we like we're gonna shoot all this wide you know wide close-up or when like a set of rules for how you shoot yeah a thing yeah Yeah. i'd say that each project i like to come up with a set of rules and so that's what we know what we're dealing with Mm -hmm. um and i feel like with every project you get better about that and you learn like okay these are what these lenses look like and even with you know shooting everything on your iphone like i love to go on artemis which is this awesome app you use with dps and you can choose out which lenses you're on so that way we actually know what it looks like and we choose those ahead of time i've always artemis also sells like those like lenses that you can actually put on your phone to help match some of the wider angles and i've never seen them in real life but I'm very curious about them. You Me know what too. I mean? Me too. I yeah. haven't used those actually. Like it would be neat to have, have you used well, them? No, but I was just on the scout um, yesterday, the day before yesterday. And like, you know, I know we're going to have an 18 millimeter lens. And so like, and we're shooting like inside an attic and we're shooting inside a utility closet, like these insanely tiny areas. So I know we're going to be on that lens a lot, even just for like a close up, Right. Um, of like a face. And so, I was shooting all these shots on my phone, but it doesn't, it crops like the sides off. Yeah. 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 Artemis. Any uh, listeners, if you guys have used the, um, the Artemis lenses, I'd love to hear about them or Artemis. Send us some and we'll, uh, we'll review them on the show. Um, (laughs) Um, so uh, Mercedes, I have a question actually. Uh, I think one of the things that's really, especially fun when you're kind of leveling up and you're getting bigger crews and you're getting more pre-pro time and uh, and kind of all of these different things. You get exposed to different craftspeople that you didn't maybe necessarily have a relationship with when earlier in your career, right? So like a stunt coordinator or a second unit director, things like that. And I find that I always uh, learn a lot from them, especially stunts, especially. It's like that's such a unique vocabulary in a different world. What are some things that maybe you picked up from people that you got to work with on this new project? I'd say the biggest thing is that um, things can be custom built instead of you having to pick what's available. Um, And so especially with costumes, I would sit down with my costume designer instead of 
her just looking through houses or mm-hmm. picking up stuff like she would actually build stuff by hand and mm-hmm. so we got to get stuff that's completely custom and so it opens your mind up creatively yeah um so things like that are really nice was that ever a burden are you ever like can't, can't you just go get a jumpsuit or something <laughs> No, because I've always wanted to do more than what's possible. Um, yeah, so I think that's a big thing. Um, How do you, see. just yeah. about wardrobe, so Stargate, obviously, you had to kind of create a whole world. How do you, yeah. like, go about designing the, like, the costumes and the makeup? Um, for this, we wanted to do something. What's really, what I really like about Stargate is it's sci-fi meets historical. Um, and so we were set in 1939, but we were in the sci-fi world. And um, so, so without a, oh boy, a period piece plus like yeah. laser gates and stuff. Yeah. Well, so like without revealing Stargate, too much, right? yeah. they go into it's a it's like, like Indiana Jones time yeah. mm-hmm. with sci-fi. Um, but yeah, so what's cool about that is so we had to stay really historically accurate, but we could also elevate things. Mm-hmm. And so we looked like at a lot of references from Vogue and different fashion editorials um, because we wanted to elevate it instead of just copying stuff historically you mean vogue from the 1920s (laughs) vogue just like magazine like current vogue current vogue yeah because so something that current vogue does is they look at like different cultures and they mash it up and like use different materials and people would have used back then and so that's something i really liked is like okay instead of just copying this how do we elevate it so that's something we did for the class. So just to get into the nitty gritty, do you just yeah. like start going on Google and Pinterest and Flickr? Pinterest and, is the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you are just pulling images and building like a book to show your costume designer? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll make Pinterest pages and they'll bring me Pinterest pages and we just have a Pinterest fest basically. Cool. Gotta get yeah. better at Pinterest. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I have uh, trouble. I like Dropbox. Like, but that's just well, it's a, like it's like a dumber version yeah, of Dropbox. Pinterest. Doesn't help you discover images. Sure, Dropbox I guess that's true. Like, yeah, yeah. But I guess what I mean is like a, I'm not good at making board. Pinterest boards. Yeah, yeah. Like right. Something but, about the interface is still clunky for you. But isn't the whole point of a Pinterest board that you can find a lot of related images and stuff? Yeah. On Pinterest? yeah. Well, like once it starts knowing you, it starts suggesting stuff mm-hmm. for you, which is cool because it starts learning your style and oh, it will show you stuff. Oh, I never thought of that. Like, like oh, thank you, I Pinterest. Do. Thank yeah. you, Pinterest. <laughs> That's actually my problem with Pinterest and everything, actually, like Facebook and Instagram is that, and I mean, it's not like I invented this problem. Everyone has this problem, but it starts trying to guess what you would like, and it's hard to get out of your, you know, predetermined lane. So it's like, I want to, I want my stuff to look like Vogue, Egyptian Vogue, but like, <laughs> Pinterest would never suggest that to me because I've never <laughs> looked at anything like that. You know, you haven't ventured out enough. <laughs> yeah, I just have trouble on Pinterest. I feel like I keep finding the same things over same and over. I feel like right. it's like yeah. Google Images, where I have to like think of the search term. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't just do it for you, but it's a good tool that I like to use. I'm trying to think of like other departments that I learned stuff from that didn't. Well, let me ask you this yeah. question that I asked at our live show. Actually, I I think it's like my new question because I never know the answer to this myself but how do you decide whether you're going to shoot something handheld or like on sticks or dolly or steadicam yeah um so for me personally I think it's different from person to person but my projects always have a a mix of all of them and so for me I've I've noticed that if you have handheld in a scene where the characters aren't moving, you notice the handheld a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually did a scene recently where it's just two characters sitting down, and we're like, oh, in this scene, 
they get up and they start arguing at each other. So this whole thing should just be handheld. But for the beginning, they're just sitting down. And it's just was really awkward and we had to stabilize it in post because you just noticed the camera so i think like if the characters are moving around and they're upset or they're going somewhere like that works handheld works but if not it's just like you're not paying attention to them well what about like steadicam though versus a handheld yeah i mean so steadicam i think can be used in a lot of different ways um something i don't know if you guys saw joseph khan's bodied recently Mm-mm. joseph Khan does like video? all the taylor swift music videos right. and yeah, so yeah. he had this feature and, and a new episode of crazy ex-girlfriend <laughs> really yeah dude I it's know, so that's good. awesome <laughs> oh you guys should definitely check it out it's it's like real joseph connie oh my god it's cool I'm i was like oh why don't they have more music episodes. video directors do this show that's yeah. right you know, i told you he was the director i got fired from one job in hollywood <laughs> you got fired <laughs> was from on his a... set yeah the jamiroquai no, right? music video oh that's right oh my god yeah I want to hear not the Jamiroquai music video, <laughs> not though. the a Jamiroquai music video. Um, but something he does is he uses Steadicam in a way that you wouldn't expect before. Like he'll use it in dialogue conversations, and so people will just be talking, and he'll like go around their heads for comedic mm-hmm. effect, or he'll like go back and forth between people a lot. And so I don't really think there's a rule for Steadicam of when you can and can't use yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's also you know that I feel like there was a time where like every DP I'd be like let's just like dolly in on this conversation let's just kind of like move back and forth and they'd be like well, that's like why why it's totally unmotivated <laughs> and I'm like I don't know it just looks cooler. Yeah. Um. And so I kind of stopped doing that because like all these film people like taught me not to move the camera if there's no reason to move the camera. Yeah, but now I, mean, I think do whatever you want, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the handheld when people aren't moving. A show that I reference a lot of, so I'm, I'm up for like a lot of comedy commercials, um, and I reference Modern Family all the time, like that look, because it's handheld and it's like kind of docu style, but it's like really clean, really perfectly lit, really perfect. The camera moves, even though they're handheld, they mm-hmm. are perfectly choreographed. Yeah. But it's but it's handheld even if two people are just standing yeah. somewhere. But I think in that case it's because the entire show is like that that you don't realize it. But I think if you've been static for like a whole show and all of a sudden everything goes from like just straight on and then all of a sudden it's moving, it really throws you out of it. And because I bounce back and forth between stuff, it's like, okay, how do we transition between this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that you bounce back and forth because I feel like I tend to more or less stick to one style throughout the entirety of a piece you know it's either like you know sticks and dolly the studio or handheld but what about like shitty boyfriend or a longer form shitty boyfriends was sticks and dolly except for one scene and it was like the breakup scene Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Uh, and zero steadier movie yeah something that was a budget thing though yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's always partially a budget but um something i've been trying to do lately is just Instead of thinking like, oh, it has to be sticks early, it has to be steady cam is thinking about what I want the move to be and then choosing which one of those what tool do you use? like yeah. matches the move that's yeah. in my head, um, which producers hate because we get a lot of different types of equipment. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but for me, guys. that's why I like switch back and forth between stuff because it's like, oh, I want it to move in this way and mm-hmm. which one works for that. I am. I'm really into like kind of a more old fashioned style of uh, handheld lately. Uh, that I haven't been able to use as much as I'd like, but I think basically post the office and post like uh, the born movies, when people say steady cam, they mean like shaky cam or, or really active camera work. Right. Whereas like, you know, like French new wave is like handheld, but like not trying to show off that it's handheld. They're almost trying to hide it, but they still want those cool camera moves. And so 
there's something really organic and cool and grounded about it that you kind of lose in Steadicam, um, but that doesn't call as much attention to itself. So if you were, say, shooting a, a steady or a handheld close-up, for instance, it's not you're not floating the way you would if you were doing it modern family style, for instance, you know? Right. Um, I worked with this camera operator. We used to call him like a cruise cam or I forget what, something along those lines because he was always like kind of bouncing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't notice he was oh, doing yeah. it. They look like they're kind of dancing. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. you're on a cruise ship and you're kind of rocking back and forth just yeah, yeah. like and that is And that is the style right now. But like there's something really elegant about like a nice controlled handheld, handheld move. Well, yeah. I've definitely been on sets where we're shooting something and I'm like, ah. It just kind of doesn't look very interesting. Can we just go to handheld? <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it's just like it doesn't feel alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The artsy way to describe yeah, yeah. it. But yeah, it just feels kind of dead and restricted sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. that's when like your operator really becomes so important, right? Yeah. yeah. Like their style. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I feel like we've been talking to you for 15 minutes. Well, I've got, I've got one other question. Um, that we can talk about a little bit that really struck me. So when we, uh, at that, that crazy day, yeah. <laughs> uh, we sat down and we were talking at lunch and you're like younger than me, right? And young enough to like, we were, it was like an influencer show and you were young enough to like um, and have watched uh, internet videos with your friends. And like, I'm just old enough for like DSL wasn't a thing until basically I got to college. And so that's, that's a very interesting generational divide for me of like people who grew up with streaming video versus not. Um, and so it's fascinating to me to think of like, oh, like up and coming directors now watched and consumed internet video when they were coming of age in a way that obviously hasn't ever happened before. And like, if you think about that, paradigm shift with tv that's the difference between cheers and the simpsons do you feel like the internet informed your opinion of doing digital work or how how did it affect you artistically yeah so that's actually really interesting that you say that um because yeah i grew up watching youtube videos with my friend and when i go on set and i've worked with influencers i have actually like oh my god when i was in seventh grade i wanted to marry you yeah exactly yeah exactly (laughs) and so it's something i actually grew up with and watched and even now i like watching youtube influencers because i think it's like who are your favorites i'm curious oh man who are my favorites um i really love brandon rogers brandon rogers is one of my favorites (laughs) yeah i know who that is yeah took me a minute he does he does extremely offensive and out yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, and so I do think that's influenced my style because I was working with an exec recently and her way of watching TV and the way it was shot was very different of how I watched things. And for her, you don't go into a close-up a lot. Like, that's unheard of. Like, you stay farther back. You don't realize or recognize that the camera's there as much. You don't see as much handheld. And for me, I was okay with seeing stuff in extreme close-ups. And I was okay if people looked in the camera and it became first POV and stuff like that. Um, But for her, that was like a big no-no. And you don't go there. And I really do think that's a generational thing. That's interesting. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that makes sense. Well, there's this really interesting thing in Blink of an Eye, you know, the Walter Murch book, that he said when he edits, I mean, he's editing movies for movie theaters. But he would say that he would make like a little cardboard cutout of a human and put it next to his monitor to show him like this is how how big a person is going to be in the movie theater relative to the screen. 
And so, so Bryce, you just have a Mercedes. You have a, a cutout, yeah. a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Next to your screen. Yeah. yeah. And actually, oh my. So really interesting. So now that we're shooting stuff for digital, we shoot stuff differently and we do it sure. closer because right. we're looking at little screens. Um, and I have a friend who's a Japanese director and people over there watch everything on their screens. Like everyone has the little flip out on their phone because whenever you're waiting, you're at a table, you just put your phone in front of you and you watch things like that. And so for him, like something he told me is like, yeah, if you want to have impact of someone moving, if they move from left to right on the screen, you see them moving space more if they move forward or backwards because if you're viewing like mm-hmm. a little three by five thing, that's different and you shoot everything closer and wides don't have as much impact. Mm-hmm. And so it just changes the style of shooting. And so I think that's really influenced me. The motion thing was that yeah. left to right movement is more impactful than yeah. forward towards, towards the camera to and away from the camera. Yeah. Um, so little things like that. And also, um, I think also just jump cuts where you'll cut from a medium to someone and a close up of someone and that's acceptable in the YouTube world mm-hmm. and that's acceptable in Japanese editing, but here it's not and you never see that. <laughs> and mm. so it jars people a lot more. Um, but back to the younger thing, I mean, that's also something I deal with all the time Sure, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. people are like, oh my God, you're so young. And I'll work on a lot of sets where... I'm the youngest person on set. And even like all the PAs have been older than me. And people always question that. And it's like, well, we're creating content for people this age. And I put as just many hours into it as anyone else has. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because I feel like the way that I found out that you were as young as you are is because you had mentioned how excited you were about meeting someone. That's what gives it up. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, which is really funny. So, do you, but you find it to be uh, challenging. Yeah, I think just challenging because people like to use age as a thing to compare. Like, oh, when I was your age, I was doing this. So there's no way you can do that because I had to put in my time. Right. Um, or it's just like usually it's people who are insecure about themselves feel yeah. like that. And if people are secure, they don't really care. My guess is 95% of these people are just kind of jealous of you. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's weird. Like, I understand. Whatever haters. <laughs> Whatever haters <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> um, I mean, but, kind of for real, though. Yeah. Do you I know don't know. I, mean? I think like, it's just like with the whole like people are sexist it's like people are also ageist and people are always going to be against you for something that's different than them um and so i think it's just like being like okay look at the job i'm doing look at the work i'm doing and that literally doesn't matter whatsoever yeah (laughs) yeah no that's that's the truth and that's kind of what we talk about all the time like if the work is good it doesn't really matter uh, how can we what's the Neil Stargate when does that come out oh yeah so that comes out in February and there's gonna oh, be nice. two episodes released every week oh, February wow. what um throughout February and do you know do you have to go to that MGM portal or will it yeah, be on yeah so it's gonna be on or? Stargate Command cool and is that do you need a subscription or anything yeah so it's a subscription and you're able to watch all the other Stargate content there as well oh, can you watch the first episode free yes the first episode will be free Perfect. oh awesome yeah cool and then how can we find out more about you in your career um you can go on my website which is mercedes bryce morgan um dot com and yeah i'm not too much of a social media person even though my agents tell me i should be more of a social media person <laughs> can we get your email address <laughs> um, no that is off the website <laughs> before we sign off uh we have a final segment that uh, where we talk about things we like and so we're gonna go into that real quick Two, one. Unpaid endorsements. Da 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 da. Thanks, guys. 
the unpaid endorsements jingle you just heard was sung by uh, everyone that was at our live show. So thanks, people, for coming Shout to our live out, show. Everybody, thanks so much. And singing the jingle. This is, as usual, a dumb one. Has nothing to do with filmmaking. But uh, my car has been hit on the street multiple times while it was parked. And every time it gets hit, I have to I lose it for quite a few days while they're replacing parts of it or whatever. And I have to. I can't get around. In LA, you have to have a car. You can kind of use Uber if you're very wealthy, but um, it's way easier if you have a car. So then I have to go and rent a car. Uh, and every time I tell myself I should add the rental policy to my insurance, and I never do. So I'm telling you people, add it. It's like $30 a year. You, you'll get a free rental car. So not only do you not have to pay for your car rental when your car is getting fixed, but everyone involved is motivated to get your car fixed faster. Because if you're paying for your own rental car, they don't care to hurry up the fit, you know, the repairs. Uh, but if they're paying for it, then they do. So get the rental car insurance on your insurance policy. That's my endorsement for the day. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, Mercedes. All right. So something I've been doing recently is trying to watch really good low-budget horror films. Oh, um, and oh, cool. so kind of late to the game. <laughs> but that's because there's so much content. Sure. So you'll always uh, be late to the game for something. <laughs> um, so I watched It Follows for the first time Ooh, recently. Yes. Good. So good, right? Yeah, and it's on so Netflix. so good. Yeah. And I watched The Witch for the first time recently. Oh, cool. Is that on Netflix? No, I watched it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Mm. It, it's included in Amazon Prime, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. I've been meaning to watch it. I heard the oh, director. Man. Do you know the director? Someone we had on the podcast knew the director, and supposedly he made a short film mm-hmm. for The Witch, and he yeah. like made all the props himself and like yeah. built like everything. He he comes from production design, and so like he made uh, all the set of The Witch, and I think all of the clothing are all um, period appropriate, down to the point where like he used the tools of that era to make the cabin that they live in. Wow. That is amazing. That's yeah, like it's really method production out. design. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and also, um, it's almost exclusively natural light. There's a couple, yeah. um, like, they'll use candle, actual candles in certain circumstances. At, like, there's a few shots that they supplement with light panels, but for the most part, it's 100% natural. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, is it, what's the budget? Is it I low think, budget? Oh, God. I don't remember exactly. It's not like I think Blair the Witch, Witch is like two to three million that sounds right and it follows yeah. is like two million yeah that's um, a, yeah that's but, like not yeah. really that low budget for a horror film yeah compared but, to like a blair witch or a paranormal yeah right? um but what i really liked about especially it follows is it's a really um high concept thing that mm-hmm. you could really get execs excited about and it's really easy to pitch but then the way they shot it was more like an art film and they took risks and so that's what really appeals to me is it's really hard to sell something especially it's like here's this really artsy out there idea and people like pass nope yeah yeah but if you have a a concept like a metaphor Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but if you have a concept like it follows and then everyone buys into it and is open to watching something that they want i I do think it's like kind of execution dependent though right like you can yeah. see a bad version of that movie oh, oh i sure. mean there's totally the slasher version of that movie yeah. which when i went to watch it that's what i was expecting and oh. then I, I didn't see that i was like whoa because that's yeah, what the trailer yeah. makes it seem like oh interesting yeah mm. like there's from the a, trailer you don't understand yeah. that at all there's also like a really interesting timeless quality to it 
Like, yeah. You know, that girl has the, like, it kind of feels she like a period She has the clamshell thing, yeah. and it's not set, or they purposely did that, is, like, all the cars and the set dressing, all of it's from different time periods, so you're <laughs> constantly guessing what time period it is. That's cool. I, yeah. yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I want to see It Comes at Night. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah, I've I have. I've heard that. It, I saw the trailer one. for that, and I was like, that's too scary for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, actually, I am anti-trailer now. Oh, yeah. I don't watch trailers because I think trailers give away way too much information, and usually it has nothing to do with, like, if I like the movie or not. Totally. So, all the movies I've been watching recently, I purely watch because people personally recommend it to yeah. me. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I also, they, yeah, they just give away all these plot points. Yeah, it's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Um, I try to embargo myself from any information after I've decided I'm going to watch the movie. So at whatever oh, right. point that it, like sometimes it takes a trailer to be like, oh yeah, I do want to see that. But if I know I'm going to see it, I just won't. I'll avoid all that stuff. What I love about trailers, it's the opposite of what you just said, uh, Mercedes, which is that trailer shows me how this movie was sold usually, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, this, you know, this actor, this person is doing this thing. Like, here's the setup. Here's the elevator pitch is the trailer. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost fun to watch trailers after you watch the mm-hmm. movie then. Yeah. Um, or like with Fight Club, they sold it as this like action-y thing sure. that these bro dudes fight out. And the movie's not like that. And that's why it didn't do well until later. Yeah. It's like the right. classic example. And for the record, $2 million was the budget for It Follows and $4 million for The Witch. $4 million. Wow. Wow. They were like mostly in one location the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to like get the tools. You have to get like an old you gotta iron. You get the tools. It a long time. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there are no stars in that movie either. That's yeah. interesting. For, well, I they mean, only look, ate like food that you can have yeah, back then. Yeah, it's a lot of gruel and things. And yeah. Goat's milk. Or have you guys yeah. seen Don't Breathe? That's like, yeah. Okay, yeah, I love Don't, Don't Breathe, breathe. is awesome. Yeah. And I thought that was like two million. I looked it up and I'm pretty sure the budget's like 10 or 15 million. Yeah, I was that's like, yeah. sometimes like, yeah. 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 One location. They probably like, like custom built the house. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. still, it's like. I mean, oh look, yo, it take, takes money to make a movie. Oh, right? I mean, yeah. Give more money. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Ex Machina. You know mm-hmm. that movie? Mm-hmm. That was like $20 million or some. Or, well, yeah, it's a VFX movie. Yeah, they have like intense VFX. I believe that. It's one VFX shot. They just repeat <laughs> over and over. <laughs> But people call that a low budget sci-fi. Yeah, but people are like, oh, it's like a small indie film that exploded. And it's like, okay, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Relax. Um, Well, cool. Well, my endorsement is uh, the Maria Bamford show. Do you guys know this show? I love Maria Bamford. It's on Netflix. Not not Lady Dynamite. The Maria Bamford show is an old super deluxe web series that she did uh, where she plays all of the characters. If you're a fan of Lady Dynamite or Maria Bamford, it's totally worth checking out because it's a lot of the early material that she uses for the show. Um, but it is like clearly shot with like a crappy camera in her house in Los Feliz. And is just like an example of like early web series. It was like, oh, this is what we used to watch on the internet. And we were all very excited about it. Um, and it's that handcrafted nature is really charming and great. And the storytelling is awesome. And it was the first digital video like web series that i loved like for real and i think it's kind of an interesting thing that um i think a lot of people make digital series present company excluded but make digital series and don't love any of that content at all Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and it's, it's like a pretty big mistake to be like oh i'm gonna make this thing and then like literally not have an opinion or have seen any of it like you can be an indie filmmaker and be awesome but 
if you don't love a specific format or the way that an audience perceives that format, what are you doing? Yeah, I think like looking at that even on a bigger level, I think that's a problem with a lot of bit budget movies is the execs aren't fanboys or fangirls of the genre. Sure. And so they'll look at horror and they'll be like, why is this so gory? Or they'll look at comedy and they're like, this has too many jokes. Like, why is it trying to be funny? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, so or I think it's just funny. Right yeah, there, right? it's people who don't yeah. like the stuff that they're giving notes or making. It's like, yeah, one, it happens why? in branded content all the time because somehow like people will convince a client like an agency or a client or someone to like do like, oh, this is really popular. Let's do a show like this. But then the people that are doing that you're advertising for, like, don't know that show, don't like it and don't want their brand to be associated with like a gory horror film or something or like fart jokes. So it's like, why are you even doing it in the first place unless yeah. you're a fan of it? What's yeah. better is when they call it out in pre-production instead of post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like we made this like, yeah, that's what you asked for. <laughs> yeah. We showed you the yeah. animatic. Well, stay tuned everyone for my fart horror movie <laughs> <laughs> coming in 2019. Sounds scary. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> thanks so much, Mercedes. This was excellent. Thank you guys. Well, if you want to check out uh, all of the stuff that we talked about, show notes, uh, our unpaid endorsements, and uh, a little bit more about Mercedes, you can go to justshootitpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod, on Instagram at justshootitpod. You get the pattern. Um, do us Please a like us on Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes. That would be so awesome. It's the only way that this show gets to grow. Um, and leave us a voicemail at 2626-SHOOT1. We love answering your questions. Uh, and it's great to hear your voices. It's real flattering. We love it. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Uh, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music that you're listening to right now is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks a lot for listening. Write us a note. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye.